Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast you're listening to, and I'm your host, Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn your cities upside down. How are we doing that? We, with the help of the Holy Ghost, are giving you scriptural motivation and strategy so you can get out there and get some stuff done for the King Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I'm telling you, friends, don't delay. Accept Jesus today. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, this is your personal invitation from him. He loves you accept him today. Listen, there's somebody close to you that you can reach out to. If for some chance you don't know anybody within reach, then reach out to us. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus so you can get your life started. Hallelujah. All right. We want to pick up here uh, on a thought that we kind of jumped into a week ago. So if you stay up with us, then this will be part two. And we titled this Considerations for Fervent Devotion. We kind of spent the majority of, you know, part one last week kind of laying out, um, you know, the idea that uh, we're in a particular time frame. We're on a timeline. The reality is that the Bible gives us very clear um, revelation of the timing um, or the days of man. The Bible said the days of man shall be 120 years or... Uh, one revelation we have that's substantiated through dozens of other scriptures would be the days of man would be 120 jubilee cycles or 6,000 years. That's the work week, six days, and then comes the seventh day. And the seventh day would be the millennial reign. Now, you and I, what's amazing about the revelation in scripture is that you and I are actually eight-day folks. Uh, You know, we worship the Lord on Sunday because that was the day that he was raised from the dead. That was the day that he resurrected. But they would have called that, even though it was the seventh day, they would actually call that the eighth day. It was like the beginning of another uh, cycle. So they called it the eighth day, even though it really wasn't eight days. But uh, we are eight-day folk in this sense. that There were six days were the days of man, the seventh day or the millennial reign, because a day is as a thousand years. That is mentioned in several places throughout the scripture. But 6,000 years and then a thousand year rest period where Jesus Christ is king. He's subduing kingdoms under himself. He will rule and reign as king uh, on the earth for a thousand years. And then after that is the eighth day, or it would be the beginning of the eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. That's why they would say that. Even though it would kick off the new week, they would say it's the eighth day because it's a new beginning. It was a new cycle. And uh, so really we're eight-day folks. Uh, The Bible gives us a picture of 7,000 years, but the anticipation is 6,000 years, the days of man. Jesus comes at, at the beginning of the seventh day or the millennial reign or the Sabbath reign. And then once that is over, at the end of that, of course, Satan is ultimately dealt with forever, then would be the beginning of whatever comes after that, that would be like the eighth day. And I'm telling you, friends, there's a real anticipation for what that time is going to be like. Of course, we'll be outside of time. We won't be using the word time in in that moment. But uh, it's phenomenal to think about. We're not quite there yet. So uh, we want to get revelation of what is our work right now? What is our work right now? We're still in that 6,000-year period, although we're right at the tail end. Um, You know, there's some discrepancy on the actual amount of days, but uh, the most common calendar puts it at 5783. We just crossed over into the Jewish New Year, so we're in the year 5783. But if you go back and uh, several available resources on this, um, I, I mean, this is not a taboo subject. It is widely discussed, widely talked about. There's some differences on the timing. But if you go back and you look at how many years passed since year one, the very first year, uh, that would have been the year that Adam and Eve were created. How many years have passed? And... Um, when you get to the um, 
uh, point of captivity there when they were under Pharaoh. There's about a 200 plus, somewhere in there, 210, 215 years, something like that. I, I have to look at the uh, materials. I don't remember offhand, but there's a discrepancy of about 200 and something years. So, you know, we're real, we're real close, friends. We're real close at, at a literal 6,000 year period of time has transpired. Well, we know that there's six days, the days of man, the days of man shall be 120 years or 120 Jubilee cycles, 120 times 50, 50 years, the Jubilee cycle is 6,000 years. Then shall come uh, the rest, the work week shall end, uh, Adam's lease on the earth shall end, and Jesus shall come and establish his kingdom as a Sabbath reign or a millennial reign, a Sabbath, a thousand year reign. Hallelujah. And then after that is a, is a whole nother beginning. Praise God. We're locating what our work is though, because the time in which you live gives revelation to your work. It's very important that you know uh, where you live in the timeline. Hallelujah. Let me look at this scripture here. Let me see. I think it's, um, uh, let me pull it up. I was just thinking about this. Yeah, in Jeremiah um, chapter 5, verse 23, it says, But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season, and who reserves for us the appointed weeks of harvest. What's very interesting about this passage here is that the Lord connected. Now, we're, now there is some contextual uh, information that's regarding these particular people here, but then if you take the character of God, this is how we would use passages that aren't explicitly written to the born-again believer, which is the majority of the Bible. The letters are explicitly written to the ecclesia or the new creation in Christ Jesus, those that have been called out from among the nations as his particular inheritance. That's the ecclesia. And uh, there's, there's some other things connected with, with ecclesia, but the general definition is those that are called out among the nations as his inheritance. Now, so here we have a principal revelation. It may not specifically uh, apply. Um, there's specific revelation applied to them because that's exactly who Jeremiah was speaking to. But when we look at the character of God, that's how we can apply certain things to the church is we take principles or the character of God that's revealed through his dealings with man, with the nations, with the Jews. All right, here we, we see that there was something that God considered uh, rebellious, and it was not considering that God reserves times that he has appointed times for certain things uh there is times and seasons uh some people uh really do not appreciate the terminology of dispensations and ages but there are certain things that are done in certain time frames there are certain seasons there are certain cycles uh if you study any kind of jewish history there's a lot of cycles of seven and then you have cycles of 50. And th certain things are done within certain cycles of, of time. And in fact, the Lord told them, you'll know what I'm doing. You, like God has a calendar. He revealed that calendar to them back in the Old Testament so that they could stay up with what God was doing throughout time. Okay? And so here principally we see that God considered it defiant and rebellious uh, and a departure because they did not consider that God did things in seasons or that God appointed times for certain work. Right here, he said that he reserved appointed weeks for harvest. If you go to John 4 in the New Testament, Jesus picks up on this principle. And we find out that you don't choose your work. Your work is based upon the week, the season, the appointment, uh, the timeline, the time frame. A lot of people think that they're just a one and done in a particular generation. John 4 gives us revelation that we are 
we enter into the labors of others. Remember that, John 4? Jesus said, in fact, let, let's just turn there because there is so much paradigmatic revelation here, big 30,000-foot view type understanding, and we need to not miss it. He says this, do not say, uh, well, let's back up here even to um, verse 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, even Jesus didn't choose his own work. Jesus yielded to the work that was revealed to him, assigned to him, ministered to him. He says, don't say there's still four more months and then comes the harvest. He says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white with harvest. Meaning when you awake to your work, you are, uh, it is not allowable for you to put that off and say, well, actually my work doesn't start until, until then. No, Jesus actually assigns you your work right in the hotbed of it. Like when you come to the knowledge of what your assignment is, uh, you're already moments behind. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now this is, um, this speaks to that our work and the work of those who've gone on, gone on before us, so there's a synergy of work, meaning we may be placed in a different part of the work, but our work here synergizes with the work that had happened before us. For in the saying, this is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So this means that generations ago, generations ago for, for example, even with Abraham, Abraham is the patriarch of all those who are righteous through faith. He begun a particular work, a particular work begun in him. That's why he's called the patriarch or he's the father of it. You and I have entered into that work. This is why we say father Abraham. We've entered into his labors. We've become a son of sorts or an inheritor of the same work. That's why we would be called like a son is because there's a unique father or mother, whatever, but there's an originator. We've entered into that work. We give originators honor in that sense, but we have been placed into the labors of somebody else and down the line, while the work may be a little bit different, it's all synergistic in the originating work, bringing it to a finish. Jesus said, I must finish father's work. Somebody began it, but as a son, I'm going to bring it into fullness, or I'm going to bring about the full manifestation of the inheritance of the work or the reward of the work or the fruit or the harvest or the abounding production of the work that had begun. Now, Jesus said, we've been placed into harvest. Now, specifically speaking to the born-again believer here, or applying this to the born-again believer, uh, the revelation that's available to us, our takeaway as the born-again uh, believer, the ecclesia, is that the time in which you and I are born speaks to our work. Several places, like in... Um, Peter, what is it? First uh, Peter, let me look at this uh, really quick. None of this is on my notes. Hallelujah. We're flowing and going. Is it First Peter 4? Uh, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, listen, at some point, that scripture was going to be true. <laughs> uh, you know, there there's a lot of argument over, over the timeline. Uh I'm, I'm not going to argue that. I have a particular perspective. I already expressed that 6,000 years and then the seventh or the Sabbath or the millennial Sabbath reign, the thousand year reign of Christ Jesus. But prior to that, 6,000 years of man, the days of man shall be 120, 120 jubilee cycles, 120 times 50 is 6,000. Um, there is several ways to substantiate that in the scripture. We're not going to go over that this morning, but here at some point that scripture was going to ring true. Now we particularly believe that um, like in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, remember Peter, he stood up and he said, this is what Joel prophesied. Now you can't argue that, that the apostle Peter, as he became later, he said that this um, demonstration of the Spirit, this kicked off 
what Joel said. Joel said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all men. Well, the last days. The last days has to mean something. So we would say 2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, when Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter stood up and he said, listen, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And it earmarked something. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, introduced the last days unto man. It was a marker. It was a timeline. It was an indicator of where we are at on God's timeline. When he said, this is what Joel said, that introduced us. We stepped into, we crossed over into what the Bible calls the last days. It was the last two days, day five, day six of the 6,000-year lease that man has on the earth. So we entered into day five on Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Now, by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, where the Holy Spirit again, through Paul, he's writing to Timothy. Now, this is specifically written to, uh, as well, specifically written to the ecclesia or the born again or the body of Christ, okay? Those who are one with Christ, born of the Spirit, born of the Word, there's an indicator by Holy Spirit given to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let me read that to you. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, know this, very emphatic, you must know, you must understand this. In the last days, perilous times will come. Again, last days is the word eschatos. That's where we get the idea of eschatology. It's the study of the last things of the end times. Well, he says this, what will mark the very end? The word eschatos used here was used in ancient Greek literature as a nautical term. It was a waypoint. It was a marker. It was the last port on a mapped destination. This word eschatos always means like the last day of the week, the last week of the month, or the last month of the year. It was the very end of a thing. In Acts, when the Spirit was poured out, Peter, by revelation of Holy Spirit, whether he fully understood it or not, you and I have a picture that he that he didn't have we have a a broader perspective than what peter even had then now he probably came came to know some, uh, some stuff later but you got to understand you and i have uh so many more scriptures you and I have the pauline revelation now that we're adding to what was said like in the book of acts peter didn't have that but here he was he stood up and he says this is that which Joel prophesied, when the spirits poured out, we shall enter into the last days. Then by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, which Peter didn't know at the moment that he gave that uh, unction by Holy Spirit, but you and I know now, by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Holy Spirit saying, how will you know that you've reached the last day of the week or the last month of the, or the last week of the month or the last month of the year? You'll know because it'll be marked by kalipos or perilous Times Now, this isn't the uh, reason why, or this isn't the whole thought of my podcast. But when we say that our work is derived from the time in which we live, it's very important to get a grasp on the time in which we live. Or you're going to be, you're going to be idle. What is idle? Idle is purposeless work. Idle is an inactivity. There's a lot of people that are busy, 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 busy. But if you're off, and you are not busy in purposeful work, meaningful work, meaning the work that Jesus said he must accomplish, which is revelatory from the Father. You don't choose your work. A lot of people are busy in the work they've chosen for themselves, but you're off. I mean, that's just the reality of the story. So many, uh, I mean, I've been there. You know, we just picked something. We, th- we thought it was good, uh, but years later we found out, well, that's not really what the Lord meant. And, uh, so we adjust, and that's what you need to do. If you're off, you just adjust. So you don't want to be judged idle. Being judged idle isn't being judged inactive. Being judged idle is being judged in work that is not purposeful, meaning it's derived from the Father, meaning you're not working where Jesus told you to work. All right? So we back up. I said all that to say this, that we want to embrace these considerations for our fervent devotion 
that we can be fully engaged, fully involved, fully focused on. And, um, you know, uh, w- the, the work that is assigned to us, we're all working to bring about father's will. Hallelujah. Now there's some argument ultimately on what, what, what that is, but I bring up some of these scriptures to say that at some point these are going to ring true. Like first Peter four, seven is going to be true at some, some point. The end, the end of all things will be at hand. The end of all things will be at hand. Now, there's another revelation that you need to really consider, that the fullness of the times, that's scriptural. The end of days, that's scriptural. Uh, the end of all things. These are scriptural terms here. What does it mean? It all means maturity. All things are coming into the fullness of their uh uh, assignment or their work or their mandate. It's all coming into a fruition. These terms are synonymous here. Fullness of the times, the end of days, the last days, the end of all things is another way of saying maturity. And these are on both sides. The church, uh, the church, uh, the body, the building, and the bride are coming into fullness. There's a glorification, okay? Um, now, there's some argument on cause and effect of that, but I think the majority of people are agreeing that there is a glorious demonstration that is advancing. But at the same time, there's also, because of what Jesus said about the, the tares that were sown among the wheat, he said, no, let it come to fullness or let it come into maturity. All things are coming into a fullness or a end of or a conclusion to or a maturity. And uh, there'll be a demonstration of evil that you've never seen. Hallelujah. Now, I am not a proponent uh, that all things are getting better. I believe, like in Timothy, where he says, evil men and seducers wax worse and worse. That is speaking to a progression of darkness, evil, etc. In fact, there's another place where it says gross darkness uh, shall increase. But then there's also the other scripture that says that the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Some people conclude that the glorification of the church means total domination and dominion over all works of evil. I don't agree with that. Uh, that uh, because of this reason, that it's possible that gross darkness and extreme glory uh be able to um, exist simultaneously. Now, it's like oil and water. They're not compatible. But um, the increase of light uh, does not automatically eradicate the willful indulgence in darkness. And I think maybe that's where there's some um, doctrinal exaggerations because the Bible says that even the father himself, that he has allowed, it's allowable for somebody to be completely turned over to the lust of their flesh, that they would literally be given over. It's, it, it's like the hand of mercy or any kind of protection. You know, even uh, Satan argued uh, about God that there was like this protection around Job, that some of that would be given over, like judgment would be made based on the condition of your heart, that if you just did not want the light, he would allow for you to be taken over by utter darkness. You know, several scriptures talk about this, that some will be cast into utter darkness. Well, that's, that is accurate judgment, but it's because of the lust or the desire or the rejection of the light in man's heart. So there is not going to be a forcible, you know, and this is um, kind of off topic here, but since I'm kind of in, in and around it, this is why we don't believe in anything forced upon anybody. You're, you're not going to force the light on anybody. You know, anybody who rejects Jesus Christ, this has been going on for, you know, thousands of years, is man has a free will. You can choose to yield or you can continue to reject. In that sense, darkness and light coexist. Uh, they're not mingled Uh, but yet man can reject the light. And of course, the enemy, he is working to deceive men and to keep men in blindness or aka in darkness. You know, in fact, you know, uh, these 
idea that the light will just overpower the dark no matter what the will of man is. Now, we're talking about the will of man. I, I believe that we have dominion over the works of darkness. In fact, uh, we're admonished, you once were of darkness, but now you're of the light because you're born again. He said, walk as children of the light. And I believe that the Lord will strategically maneuver sources of light in the dark places to give illumination in order to set the captives free. But as far as total dominion over the hearts of man, we do not have that. In fact, that is wrong territory. In fact, if it, manipulation, control, forcing, that's all works of witchcraft. Uh, we will never have total dominion over the hearts of man. And even to attempt to legislate that would be, you know, bordering on some dangerous ground. Uh, we actually have a belief in limited government that there was something between man and God, not to legislate like with an iron fist or to rule with an iron fist. Uh, in this work week, to rule with an iron fist over the hearts of, of, of man would get you off in the territory that you don't want to be in. In fact, it, it, it would require expansive government in order to legislate, legislate even that quote-unquote type of morality. So it's kind of two-faced, actually, if you say limited government, but then you want to utilize the overreaches of government to enforce a particular ideal or religion, even if it's, quote, moral, I think uh, is a little bit contradictory of itself. So, you know, there's some considerations there. Uh, the hope is not in legislating this kind of stuff, legislating the light. The hope is that God would have... Um, that man's hearts would soften unto the Lord. Should they not soften unto the Lord? Should they continue to reject the Lord? There are consequences for doing so. But you and I are not the judge of that in the moment. Hallelujah. So uh, the Bible says that darkness, even gross darkness, is on a trajectory of maturity. Uh, there's nothing you and I are going to do to stop that. The reality is that there are influences behind the scenes that there is no mercy for. You understand demons, there's no salvation for demons. There's no salvation for fallen angels. There is no salvation for Satan. And all of the uh, spiritual kingdom operatives that are associated with that, there is no redemption. And that darkness is not going to get lighter. That influence uh, wherever man has yielded to that influence, you and I are not going to force the issue. Uh, there's a work of Holy Spirit that has to be done. You and I are a part of that. We're making intercession. Um, you and I are a part of ad, uh, uh, administrating the gospel. Uh, there are signs and one. There, there are various ways that we are working with Holy Spirit as He's working with the hearts. Of men, but you're 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 not going to force the dark into the light. You you understand that? And even Second Timothy tells us, Second Timothy chapter three puts us squarely right at the end of all things and says that Kalipos is going to be the reality. It's going to be perilous times. Why? Because evil men and seducers. These are uh, uh, Janice and Jambres show back up on the scene. Where? Right here at the end of time. There is a great increasing outworking of demonic activity that is seducing to man, or men are seduced by it. Uh, in particular, gullible people is what it says there. But it says that the love for natural things, fleshy things, the love for their own pleasures and self-satisfaction, their quest for um, you know, uh, their, their, their own ambition, it's going to cause them to grow cold to the spiritual realities of Christ Jesus. And because of this demonic outworking, this increase in demonic activity, they, a maturity of, of gross darkness, people are still going to be seduced by it. There is no way you're going to legislate that. I mean, praise the Lord. Um, so it's a little bit of a, of a tension that we're living in, but we don't, we don't make that so big that it causes us to get distracted from what Jesus said, go 
and tell them that the kingdom of God is near them, that deliverance is here, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He is the deliverer out of the bondage in which you were born into. You've got to be born again. He said, tell them you must be born again. Hallelujah. So we are as fervent at that still as we've ever been, even in the face of growing darkness, gross darkness, even in the face of demonstrations of the demonic realm you and I have never seen, we are still steadfast, immovable uh, in our mandate, anointings and calling. We are meet for the task. He's equipped us for the task at hand. In fact, Ephesians, the entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, the word against used, uh, the, the, the English word against is used in a couple of verses there like four or five times. It's the Greek word pros. And it means so close that literally nose to nose, uh, uh, you know, forehead to forehead, shoulder to shoulder, you will be so close to this demonstration of demonic activity that you could feel the breath coming out of their mouth. You can feel the breath coming out of their nose. Pros means uh, uh, intimate, not, not sexual, but so close, so close that there's very little space in between. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're, our battle is not pros with man. Our battle is pros with these uh, cosmic dominators, I heard someone say once. Our battle is these principalities and powers. These uh, And there's four revealed levels of demonic authority. Paul used Greek military terms to give us a layout, a structure from the highest ranking, most powerful, down to your everyday low-level common demon that is so populated on the face of the earth that it fills the air below the mountaintops. That's the Greek phrasing there um, for Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, let's look at that here. Listen, friends, you're going to have to be fervent in these days. You're going to have to be steadfast, unmovable. You're going to have to be devoted in, in these days. Uh, nothing to be afraid about, but it's something to be uh, watchful and serious. Remember, he said the end of all things is at hand. Be watchful and serious. This isn't just goof time. We're going to have fun. We're gonna, and we have loads of fun. Hallelujah. Such celebrations, such rejoicing, such demonstrations. But it's, but it's a sober time. It's a sober time. He said, oh, let's see, that's Ephesians 4. Uh, he says, for we do not wrestle, right here, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against or pros rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The last or the lowest level, uh, if you want to look at a structure of authority or a structure of power, is spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Greek phrasing there is the level of demon. They're your everyday run of the mill. They're your lowest level. They're annoying. Uh, they're not uber powerful, but they're more annoying than anything else. But they so populate the face of the earth. These are the ones that are running around. Like these, these are the ones that were um, cast into the pigs. And they said, hey, we don't want to leave our region. They're bound to the uh, earth realm. He, uh, many uh, ancient fathers spiritual fathers, church fathers commentated on, on, on this, but in the Greek, it's the air below the mountaintops. They're densely, these demons have densely populated. They are densely populated in the air below the mountaintops. These, these are the ones that you run into all the time. These are familiar spirits that work with psychics and um, card readers and palm readers. You know, these, these are uh, ones that are just um, annoying. They're imps. Uh, they <clears throat> harass, they agitate, they oppress, uh, they work with lusts, uh, not just sexual, but it can include that. They are flesh, 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 flesh. They feed on the flesh. They're disembodied and they're lustful towards all things carnal. And, you know, these are um, ones we deal with probably more than anything else but the, but there's an order of command there and he said pros pros against you're not going to force anybody 
our attention is the authority of the or, or the dominion over the works of darkness that are influencing mankind. Hallelujah. So the point of our work, the origin of our work, has to do with these spiritual realities. Hallelujah. Not in the natural. You're not going to force anybody to accept the light. That alone, again, I maybe I'm belaboring this thought, that alone right there is going to tell you that darkness is still going to be on the increase as long as these forces have access to influence people. Oh, thank you, Father, for it. And um, so we're working with the Lord on it. All right, then let's get into a couple thoughts here. How much time do I have left? So fervent devotions. Everything I said should encourage you to really uh, get yourself focused, you know, to tune in to what's happening, to really cut out the clutter. You know, Paul said, when I became a man, when I became mature, I put away child, childish things. Part of our work has to do with the fact that you and I have chosen maturity. In fact, I said it last week, in order to um, uh, finish strong, in order to run your race, in order to keep up with the horsemen, you're going to have to have chosen maturity. Maturity is a consideration that you have to uh, accept in order to take your place. We uh, We could say it like this. This is how I said it last week. Maturity is a requirement to have a chance at crossing the finish line. Now, you're not necessarily racing against anybody. It's not a competition against another person. But God has an assignment for you, and he wants you to finish strong. And part of your work is to choose maturity and then develop in it. Um, let's go here. So ultimately, there's five considerations. Um, there may be more than five. Why five? I don't know. The Lord gave me five. I think maybe we'll be able to cover one or two uh, in this podcast today. So uh, five things to be aware of or five considerations. Num- number one, go low to go higher. Go low to go higher. I've said this for several years that humility is a strategy, friend. It's not just a great quality or a virtue. It is a strategy. Um, I heard the word of the Lord back in 2019. He said that there would be a cultural clash uh, among the high and lofty or self-exalted things and the low and the base things. That's uh, what is it? That's First Corinthians. Is that 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He said, God's chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. He said, the base things of this world, the things that are despised. God has chosen the foolish things to put to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. This is a strategy, friends. It is a very calculated strategy. Humility is not just, uh, for, for the work that you and I have, it is not a secondary consideration. It is a primary consideration. It is of the utmost importance. In order to be exalted, you must humble yourself. It is a strategy. Here's the word of the Lord. Controversy will be the new norm as the counter-cultural movement of God. Those base and foolish things clash with the high and exalted things in the Earth. Now, I don't know how this is going to play out on, on the national stage. I'm, I'm not as worried uh, about that. Our focus is the work Jesus said we must finish Father's work. He may not consider certain things the same way you and, you and I do. We don't want to get caught up in the things of man. We want to get caught up in the things of the Spirit. But either way, God is using the base and the foolish things as a strategic uh, way of bringing about victory in certain areas. And in particularly, you can see how so much has gotten off right now. I mean, way off, way, way off in the uh, major arena of man right now, in particularly in the United States over this whole political debacle that we've been in for several years now. Now, listen, there's something that if you are a born again uh, believer, in Christ Jesus, you need to really consider your ways, friend, because there are people that have entered into a eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth approach 
and how they're handling things that are going on that they don't like in this nation. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. In fact, he even said this, if a Roman asks you to carry his backpack for a mile, offer to carry it two miles or further. You got to understand, Jesus had a very calculated way in which he was introducing his kingdom. And it was not come in with a sword and hack off everybody's ears. It did. In, in fact, if you remember that, Jesus said, put the sword up. And he took the guy's ear. The, I mean, the very guy that came to arrest him, they, they were about to beat the snot out of him, mutilate his body and hang him on a Roman cross. Jesus said, put the sword up. And he took the guy's ear and he healed the guy. He ministered healing. He had compassion on the guy that came to crucify him. You understand here? There are Christians that are engaged in the same kind of character assassination as people that don't even know God are. Listen, you cannot fight uh, fire with that fire. Remember Jesus he rebuked the disciples for saying, let's just call fire down from heaven. Let's just torch these folks. Let's get this corruption out of here. Let's get this hatred out of here. Let's, let's get these people who've taken advantage of us out of here. Let's just, let's just nuke them. Jesus said, what spirit are you of? That's not how my kingdom is being introduced. Now, listen, I would caution you. I mean, with as strong of caution as I can caution you with, that you must not engage in the same way you're being engaged. You cannot fight back uh, with the same kind of weapons that the enemy is using against you. This is what he's saying here. He has a way of bringing to nothing the things that have exalted themselves, the things that have um, you know, you know, lifted themselves up, uh, things that think they're mighty and strong. He said, I'm going to use base and foolish things. I'm, I'm going to use the low things in order to get victory here. Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you. You know, we're, we're, we're praying for our favorite heroes, but when was the last time you prayed for the person you can't stand? When was the last time you prayed for the presidency that you don't like? When was the last time that you prayed for people that are trying to advance certain ideals on you that you don't think are right? When was the last time you went in intercession? When was the last time you travailed over that? When was the last time that you prayed that God would capture, enrapture, arrest their hearts? When was the last time that you envisioned that just shortly they would be saved and standing next to you with hands lifted and hearts broken and faces on the floor worshiping the same Lord and Jesus that delivered you out of the same influence. God has a different way. There will be a clash, but it's not going to be the clash of the titans. It's not going to be one person wielding a death sword against someone else. Hallelujah. You got to understand Jesus willfully died on a Roman cross, but he introduced a way that his kingdom would gain ground. Hallelujah. We're not talking about passivity or inactivity, but we're talking about you're not going, it is not allowable for you, friend, to engage in the same kind of tactics that the ungodly are using and think you're okay because, quote unquote, you're advancing a good cause. Listen, you destroy the cause when you have no decorum. You actually bring blasphemy upon the, quote unquote, cause when you act and engage in the same kind of demonic, uh, mean, worldly, controlling, manipulative activity, saying statements, press releases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as they're doing. You're not going to win with God by trying to assassinate somebody's character just to get a position in politics. I don't care who you, who, who you are. You bring blasphemy on the whole thing when you think that's allowable. Hallelujah, friends. We have a different way. We have a different approach. Hallelujah. There's something about serving Jesus brought as a way that he advances his kingdom. Serving. He said the greatest in the kingdom will be those 
that don't lord their uh, ability or their power or their authority over another, but yet strad strategically utilizes their dominion and brings us a pathway or a strategy of service. Listen, there's something to that. That's not my podcast. So one consideration for fervent devotion is you're going to have to be willing to embrace humility, taking the low road, which is another way of saying taking the high road, taking the road of honor. Um, that is a strategy, friends. Again, he is, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God has deliberately chose, the Amplified says, what in the world is foolish to put to, to put the wise to shame, wise in their own eyes. God's actually going to demonstrate true wisdom through truly humble people. And he says what the world calls weak, uh, he'll use to put to shame the strong. God has deliberately chose, intentionally selected what in the world is lowborn and insignificant and branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing that he might dispose and bring to nothing the things that are. 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, clothe or apron yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud. He sets himself against the insolent. God sets himself against the overbearing. He sets himself against the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. He opposes and frustrates and defeats the prideful, but gives grace, favor, and an increase of blessing to the humble. He says this in 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves, demote yourself, lower yourself in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you, casting the whole of your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you and affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Listen, we cast cares because taking cares upon yourself, taking cares because you don't think God um, has a plan or has a leading or has an unction. We are diligently waiting for our the revelation of our next steps. We are not charting our own path and saying, God bless it. We have a posture of following. And so we don't take cares upon ourselves. We cast cares over on him. Taking cares will derail you, friends. That's one consideration you need to be aware of. If you take unnecessary cares, it will derail you. We are becoming proficient at the humility of casting off cares. Now, that, that doesn't mean inactivity, but it does mean that our activity is not influenced by pride or dominating another person. We are intentionally lowering ourselves to the place of a servant. Our strategy has to do with service, not in manipulation. All right? I think we'll stop there with that one consideration because really it deserves a podcast in and of itself. Humility is such a big topic right, right now. Humility uh, does inspire a boldness, but again, improper boldness will cross over into control or manipulation or trying to dominate another person. Listen, dominion definitely in this dispensation includes dominion over the works of the enemy. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the enemy. But you have to understand mankind, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they have been seduced. They've been born into a sinful uh, bondage. The message of the gospel is, an, um, is not about forcing one to acquiesce to a pattern of Christianity. It is about bringing true deliverance, and that true deliverance only comes through being born again. Listen, no matter what our work is, if it doesn't include the reality that somebody is born again, our work is for nothing. Because if you're not born again, you're going to hell. Hallelujah. The only way to the Father 
is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, likening yourselves in his death, burial, and then subsequent resurrection or new birth by way of Holy Spirit. If our work doesn't include that element right there, no matter what can be done out here, you could force a man to look right, but unless his heart is right, he will never be before the Father. He'll be cast out in, other, in utter darkness, outer darkness forever, friends. So listen, we, there's a crux to our work. There are secondary, there are third, there are fourthly, there are fifthly, and other considerations, but our primary work is that man would be born again. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's, that's the only way to having an eternity with the Father, being united with Christ Jesus and therefore being reconciled with the Father. Hallelujah. That is the message of the gospel right now, the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself because there's so many thoughts that are tying in to this, but um, uh, Jesus definitely said, hey, let them know that the kingdom, the kingdom has come near and do these things here. There will be a demonstration. There'll be an outworking. But the gospel, the primary gospel that you and I are ministering right now is the gospel of grace. Hallelujah. Accept Jesus today. There is a gospel of, of the kingdom that Jesus began to reveal to us. He said, there's not a whole lot I can tell you now because you're not able to bear it yet. But when Holy Spirit comes, he'll reveal uh, to you some of the remaining things. There is a gospel of the kingdom, but that gospel will be preached in the millennial reign. Hallelujah. All right, right now, the primary gospel is Jesus and being born again into the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right, friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I've had a great time. So we're talking about considerations for fervent devotion. Humility, friends, you need to consider it. Hallelujah. It's not just a good idea. It is a strategy. Hey, listen, if we can help you in any way, it would be our honor to do so. If you need somebody to join with you in prayer, you can call us 870 870- 741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will follow up with you. Or you can send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. And we'll get it to one of our prayer team members and uh, they'll reach out to you. Also, I want to say thank you to those who have supported the podcast through your prayers. That's my first request. Would you partner with us in prayer? James 5.16 says the prayer of somebody like you makes tremendous power available. When the word is ministered, we need that prayer that has set the environment has filled up the environment so that when the word of the Lord connects with that environment that's been prepared in prayer, something clicks in the heart of the hearer. Thank you so much for partnering with us. Also, if you'd like to go and add to your prayer support, I want to say thank you to all those who financially contributed some way to the podcast that has tremendously helped. We say thank you in advance that if you'd like to participate in that way, several ways you can give. You can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Or if you're in the United States, you can text to give 84321. Just follow the prompts or mail a check to P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.